Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors. Here at Fertility Warriors HQ, we believe in three things, grace, grit, and gratitude. We don't believe you have to be perfect to fall pregnant, but we do believe that you need to place yourself and your well-being at the top of your priority list. I'm your host, Robin Birkin. For some people, trying to conceive is a cakewalk. I was not one of those people. My journey was years in the making and included IUIs, IVF and a miscarriage, as well as many, many tears before we fell pregnant with our first child. Now I'm the author of the book, Screw Infertility, and the founder of a 12-week mind-body fertility program, the Fertility Warrior Intensive. I'm here to help you not only navigate these waters, but to help you feel like a badass in the process. My superpower? Helping Taipei women find calm, confidence and happiness in their journey. I'm a little woo-woo, a lot straight shooter, and I swear like a sailor. Sorry, Mum. I've never turned down a bowl of mashed potato, and if you like salt and pepper, mm, I think we'll get along just fine. So hit that subscribe button and tune in for tips, advice, and real talk every week. I promise you, I'm not daggy. Okay, maybe a lot daggy, but subscribe anyway. Enough small talk, let's do this thing. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Fertility Warriors. I'm really excited because this year I'm focusing on interviewing some really cool and some very interesting people who have very interesting stories to tell and things that I believe will be super, super helpful to you, uh, no matter where you are in your journey. So no matter where you are on your journey, definitely still tune into this because our guest today has the most amazing spirit. She's one of the coolest people I know. We chat to each other all the time through a program that we run and she lives in Minnesota. So that's kind of cool. I feel like some of the coolest people in the world are from Minnesota or they're for some reason, where is the other place? Arizona. I seem to have a lot of people who are in the spheres around Minnesota and Arizona. Anyway, Today, it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Maida Getman. So Maida, thank you so much for joining us today. Ah, oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, did you hear that Minnesota accent come out when I said oh, that? That's so funny. Re- you should rewind. You should definitely bring out the accent. <laughs> I, but I really am excited to have you here on the podcast today because I think that you have some very important messages to share and it's something that I see through the intensive program as well which is well first of all it's a couple of things it's the mind fuck when your specialist tells you whether it's donor egg donor donor sperm donor embryos that like shit's gonna go to the next level here it's that complete mind fuck so I'm really excited to hear your story but also I'm really excited for you to help bust some myths with us. So Maida, you help families who are considering using donor conception. Correct. Yep. So I work with couples, families who are facing that horrible um, moment in their fertility journey where they have been told, your genetic material, whether that's husbands, wives, you know, whichever partners that is, 
um, or maybe both, will not um, successfully create a baby. And so um, that's where I step in to help because I've been there and I know how that feels. And I've sat in on that double UTF is happening to me doctor's appointment. Oh, you can swear freely here. We we say fuck a lot. Every episode is (laughs) true, true, true. That's true. I should know that about you by now, Robin. Um. And so that's, that's essentially why I work with people because I've had a successful outcome. Um, I have donor egg, um, two girls who we conceived using donor egg. Um, but it is a really hard bridge to cross. It's, mm-hmm. No one goes into, well, no one, no one goes, not many people go into starting to have a family thinking they're going to have problems at all. And then you get to that part and you are going through this infertility journey and you're like, what the fuck is happening to me? And why is this happening to me? And then you hit this kind of uh, crossroads where it's like either donor or adoption or live child free. And um, that is incredibly difficult because it can hit you out, it can come out of nowhere, truly, um, for some people. And um, yeah, so that's why I, I work with people who have experienced that. And I feel like with infertility, it's almost like every next major step, like even just that admission of, eh, Trying on our own isn't working. We're going to need to bring in some big guns. Every time that happens, I'm picturing those videos. And especially when you're in that appointment with a specialist and the specialist is like, look, your own eggs or your own sperm, whatever, it like no bueno is, you know, those viral videos where you sit like, they're not cool videos, but like you see someone standing there and they just get cleaned up by something like a big snowball or something like that. Just hit like a ton of bricks. Yes, totally. And, and honestly, like that's really, I, I look at that, like there's a bunch of collective losses, right. That happen along the way. And I think about that on my own journey. Right. So like it started off with, we learned pretty quickly on that. My husband actually had low motility, low sperm count. And so we knew fairly early on that we were going to have troubles that was a shocking diagnosis. Right. But then you're like, okay, let's rally. Like, and and I'm a doer and I'm just like, okay, what's the next thing? Like, what can I do next? And so we jumped right into IUIs and then those didn't work. And so then that was another blow. Right. So then you get referred to the, the specialist and then they do the workup and then they're like, well, actually made a you're also the problem. Right. So it's both of you. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and a little bit more about those next steps after you were told that I don't know you're a contributor as well like and also how that felt because we were kind of similar that they were like Ross's sperm isn't great but then later on it was like it looks like you might also be the problem I've got to say initially there was a little bit of like a my shit don't stink and then it was like actually it does (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, at first I remember with, when we found out about Michael being like, oh, well, you know, like too bad for you, but like, I'm, I'm good. So like, let's just keep going and let's do this. And then 
I remember getting the phone call. Um, of course, like I was at work, right? Like in Cubeville, went into like a private space, took the call and was like, your AMH is essentially non-existent. Your, you know, that level of your, for your AMH is like basically not there. And I was like, okay, great. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I had no clue what any of that even meant. And essentially she was like, you don't have good eggs and you have to go into, you ha IVF is going to be the next thing. And it's because of you. Like I heard it as it's because of you. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> like and did you actually say your eggs aren't good or is that also like basically? No, that, that's basically what I heard. Yeah. Oh no, they were not that uh, clear, um, if you will. Like it was just like this was your result for your AMH. I think IVF is going to be your next your next step, right? Not like any reason why. Um. So yes, I mean, I definitely had that feeling of like, great, like now it's me too. But then I also kind of felt like okay, great. It's both of us now that are a problem. Like, at least it's not just my fault, or at least it's not just his fault. So we jumped right into IVF and we did two back-to-back -back cycles where we didn't ever have any embryos to freeze after the cycle, even though we got, you know, a fairly decent number of embryos, I would say. Um, we did, our first one was a five-day transfer, didn't take. Second one was a three-day transfer, didn't take, had nothing left even at five days. And I remember it was the, in that appointment where like, it's like the movies where you're actually sitting in the doctor's office, not like an exam room, but like the doctor with their white coat is sitting behind a desk with all of their diplomas behind them. And, you know, Michael and I are sitting on the other side of the desk and we're trying, we're essentially saying like, well, what is going on? Like, why isn't this working? And that's where I think she was really clear with us to say like, it's an egg quality issue. Mm -hmm. You don't have good quality eggs. Would you ever consider using a donor, an egg donor? And I just remember like, you know, when you feel like you're going to pass out and like everything turns, like everything around you gets black and you have this like tunnel vision like, I remember that's what happened to me. And I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And, and then it was like the teacher from Peanuts, like from Snoopy and Charlie Brown, where it was like, wah, 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 wah. Like, I heard nothing else of what she said. Um, and I was like, I remember thinking too, like, there is no way in hell I will ever use another woman's eggs to have children. Like, that is not possible. I would never do that. And we kind of left it at that, honestly. Like, we left that appointment and we had decided that we were going to do three rounds with my eggs. And so I just kind of left it. Michael, on the other hand, started doing all the research mm. and all the statistics around using donor versus using your own eggs when you had low AMH, when you have egg quality issues. And, um, after our third round failed, that's really where we hit that crossroads because we knew we couldn't keep going with my own eggs. And I, you know, like I'm really grateful to you for sharing what that moment was like and that initial gut reaction of never, ever. Like, and there's so many people, we have these moments on our journey. You need IVF 
fuck no. Then right. people are like, you need donor. What the fuck? No. And it takes, like, there's a grieving process. There's like, get, let's get our head around it. Let's reassess our lives. And so was Michael just like a little bit on board with this and trying to like, be like, come on, Maida. Yeah. I mean, Michael was way on board before I was, which honestly is typical in our marriage in general about pretty much everything. Like he's I feel like the opposite. I'm generally the jump part, like jump in and Ross is like, Whoa, Nelly. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're opposite. Like he's like, I've done the research. I've figured it out. Like I'm ready. Let's go. And I'm more of the like, tell me the research. What does it say? But how do I feel about it? And what's my gut feeling? What's my heart feeling? And like, I need the time and the space to process. And for us, we, we did a, we got a secondary opinion from an embryologist about like the embryology related to the embryos that we had just to like confirm that it really was truly an egg quality issue. And we got confirmation that it was. And that was one step I needed to help with my processing. And then the other thing was that we decided to go through our clinic to find our donor. And at the time, our clinic had about a six month waiting list for donor egg. And part of the process was you had to meet with a therapist before they would put you on the wait list, which was a life-changing like hour and a half of our lives. And I highly recommend some kind of, you know, therapy and counseling if you're going to go in this direction. But um, we met with her and Michael really pushed us to do that because he had said like, we can get on the list. We, if we wait six months and we get a donor and you're still not ready, we don't have to take the donor, but let's not waste six months. And so I basically agreed to that. Mm -hmm. And then we had this six month period of time where I did more researching. I really processed my grief around, you know, my child's never going to have my family's double chin. Like my child's mm -hmm. never going to have, at least I thought blue eyes, like my child's never going to look like me. No one's ever going to say to me, wow, like your baby looks exactly like you. And I can say more about that later because none of those things were actually true, but I really processed the loss and the grief and did meditation and all of these things to just like get myself ready and prepared. And by the time we got our donor, I was ready. Like I was raring to go and I was ready. And I remember the day we found out we got, we were matched with a donor. I sobbed and we celebrated. And it was at that moment that I was like, this is gonna work for us. Like, this is right, this feels right. Um, and I already started feeling connected <gasps> to these like kids who didn't even exist at that moment. So yeah, that's kind of a story. But, but honestly, it took me a good nine months mm. of processing the idea from the time that we had that horrific doctor's appointment until the time we were matched with our donor was about nine months. So it didn't happen fast. No, and nor does it have to, but I really, I like, congratulations on, you know, props to Michael for saying, just get on the list and then yeah. let's work on, you know, because I firmly believe that, like keep making appointments because you can always cancel the appointments. But totally. sorry to Michael, but initially were you a little bit like, 
when Michael's like, I've done the research. Were you a little bit like, fuck off, Michael? Totally. Like, so you were? Oh, no, I was, I was like, I was like, you know, good for you. I don't want to talk about this. Hmm. Like, I, I'm, I'm not there. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I don't want to talk to you about it. Like, if you want to research it, great, but I'm not talking about it. And then slowly he would keep bringing it up and I'd be like, oh, well, that's interesting, but like, I'm not doing that. Right. Like he'd say like, did you know that we have a 50% chance of getting pregnant with, with donor eggs? And we have like a 2% chance of getting pregnant, like with your eggs. And I'd be like, fuck you, but wow, that's a really big difference. Mm. Like 50%. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. You know, so it was, it was stuff like that, but yes, I wouldn't, <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it at first. <laughs> and so there's a lot, like, I think everyone who considers donor, and even if you're not told, like, come on, fertility warriors, we all run all the scenarios through our heads of all the different things. So everyone at some, well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of us at some point have been like, would I consider donor this, that? And, but there's a lot of myths out there. And you're going to share with us today five myths about donor conception. So what is myth number one? Oh, so hang on. We haven't, we need to tell you, you've got two donor babies. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I do. Yep. So we, um, we were matched with our donor and, um, we did a fresh cycle. So mm -hmm. she went through the egg retrieval process at the same time. I prepped, um, as if I was going to do a frozen embryo transfer. Um, and then we did a transfer in November of 2015 and we transferred two embryos and I remember waking up from the procedure you know like coming to from that procedure and being like what the fuck did I just do like two oh, oh boy okay and we had twins so we got pregnant with twins and um, they are now four and a half they'll be five in July and they are exactly the children who are meant to be in our family like yeah. I truly believe that they their spirits found us however you want to believe that um, that we were meant to be their parents and I think the thing that blows me away two things blow me away one I do not think about the fact that I used a donor every single moment of every single day. I mean, I think about it because that's the work that I'm in, but from a day-to-day -day parenting perspective, I never thought that I would not think about it every day. And I really don't anymore. Mm -hmm. But the second thing is when we were matched with our donor, our donor had brown hair and brown eyes and Michael has brown hair and brown eyes and his whole family has brown hair and brown eyes. And I was like, I'm never going to have a blue-eyed, blonde-haired child. I have blue eyes and blonde hair. And the girls were born with bright blue eyes. And I was like, great, they're going to change. Like, their eyes are going to change. And they haven't. So I have two girls who have bright blue eyes. One of them has hair color almost exactly like mine. And that, to me, like, they kind of look like me. They Even do. though they... They didn't start from my eggs, but I carried them. They were nourished by my blood. They were living in my body. And um, I, 
I truly believe that had those exact embryos be put in someone, not me, they would be completely different children. So that has been the best part, I think, mm -hmm. is just that like all of my fears and really all of these myths that we're going to talk about truly are myths and they were debunked for me. So yeah, I love yeah. that. And you've seen them. I mean, you see, you've seen what they look like. They I really like you would like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like, I mean, cause you're a twin mom as well. There's so many myths about twins and there's so many things that people say that I know are frustrating and annoying as hell to twin parents. So I don't want to say any of those cliche, <laughs> like wrong things, but like you, like they look perfectly. Well, I mean, they are your kids. They, they just like, you would never think anything. They're your kids. They just are. Yeah. Yep. They just, they, they are my children. Yep. Yep. And I think like, honestly, Robin, that leads right into, I think the first myth in, and that is that my baby won't feel like my baby. So yeah. if I use a donor, donor embryo or donor egg, or um, if I use my, you know, donor sperm, like the baby's not going to feel like our child. And it's probably the number one fear or myth that people have around donor conception. And it's just not true. And I think there's a few reasons why. One, you know, like I mentioned earlier, attachment to your child starts long before they ever show up. So for me, attachment to my kids started the day we were matched with our donor. I was invested, right? Like she, when she'd had her egg retrieval, like I was, I was just as anxious to get the phone call from the embryologist as I was when it was my own eggs. Yeah. Right. Like I was just as invested when we got our positive beta, like it felt exactly the same, right. Because we were already invested. And, and so I think that's important to remember that that bonding and attachment really starts long before that child even shows up. And then the second part about it too, is that when you use donor, you as, as the woman go through the pregnancy. And so like, your body is nourishing that child, like I mentioned, but also like that, that child is hearing your voice. They're hearing your partner's voice. They're hearing the environment that they're living in. Like all of those things are happening so that when the baby's actually born, like they know you, they recognize you, they know your smell, they know exactly who you are. And so, yeah, like maybe they started off as someone else's genes, but as they've grown into becoming that baby, that is because of you as their parent, not because of whose ever genes they started off as. And so I think like those things for me were really helpful as I was going through the process. But then also once they were born, like they came from my body, they were placed in my arms, like they were mine. And when I looked at them, one, I couldn't believe I had made it to having children after such a long journey, but also they were truly mine and they have felt that way ever since. So I think like for people who are worried about that, it's such a common worry and it's such a common concern, but so much biology is happening leading up to that child showing up that it's just, it's not going to happen. Like that is your baby. And even like, 
you know, obviously I talk a lot about brains, brain development has so yeah. much of brain development happens after they're born. <laughs> like it's all like, it's depending on how they're responded to and things like that. You're the one in the middle of the night getting up when they're crying for their mama. So yep. talk to me about myth number two. Yeah. Myth number two, um, and I'm, these are in no particular order, but myth number two would be that everyone's going to know my child is donor conceived. So I was always afraid, like my children would have like a scarlet letter or like a big D on their forehead. And I say that to be funny, but also like, I truly felt like everyone's going to know that they were donor conceived and they're going to be treated differently because of that. And the reality is, is that people see what they want to see. So they see you pregnant. They see you then holding a baby. They see your Instagram post that says like, this is my baby. And that's what they see. They see you were pregnant and now you have a baby and this is that baby. And this is what that baby looks like. There's no question. There's no no one, most people don't think like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how that baby was conceived, right? People don't think about that when they look at a baby. No. And same with like physical resemblance. So like how many times have you heard of someone say like, oh my gosh, like you have your dad's eyes and you're like, no, I don't like, that's just something you're, you're seeing, but like, that's not True. People just um, say to me, I have my dad's bossy attitude. <laughs> and Actually, like, in the family, yeah. but anyway, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, you know, again, people see what they want to see, right? Like, so if they think that your kid has your nose, like, may- that's what they think. Like, or they're lying and maybe they're not the greatest person to have around. Like, whatever. And, and so I think it's just important to remember that like, you're, you're telling the story, you're leading the narrative, people see what they want to see. And you don't have to tell everyone that you used a donor. And that is not lying. So I think there's like, I've talked to clients that I've worked with in the past who've been like, but I have to tell everyone because if I don't tell people then I'm lying. It's like, well, no, you're not lying. You're just not telling the whole story. Like it's kind of equivalent to like, if you conceived the normal way of having sex, like, it's not like you'd be like, yes, this is the positions that we used. Right. Like exactly on the sixth cycle. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So like, are you lying? No, you're not lying. It's just, you're just not telling the whole story to people who don't need to know. Now there's a whole conversation around who needs to know and all of that, but, but still. And then the last part about that is kind of going back to my eye color story, Mm. like how your child looks. If your child has blue eyes and you have blue eyes, those are facts, right? Two facts, not disputable. Does not matter how they got those blue eyes whether it was from my genes or the donor's genes, they have blue eyes, I have blue eyes. That's just a fact. And so I think it, it can be when we're in the moment, we're really hypersensitive to these things. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that people aren't thinking about it. 
people aren't thinking about the fact that we use the donor like we, we are. Even people that we tell or bring into that part of the story. Um, so I've, I've got a great friend. She was with me all through my journey. She knew exactly every step we were taking. And she even came and visited me in the hospital when the girls were born. And I remember her being like, oh my gosh, I can't remember which baby it was, but she was like, so-and-so looks just like you. And I remember being like, hello, you remember that we used a donor, right? Like, she's like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. Yeah. And especially because they've seen you pregnant. Like it's you, it's your child. Yeah. My child. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What other myths are there that, you know, that help keep people terrified of donor conception? Yeah. So I would say the next one would be that my child's going to be angry with me about how they were brought into the world. Oh, okay. Yep. So there's a lot of really hard to hear stories out there from donor conceived persons who were never told that they were donor conceived, that maybe found out because they took a cheek swab and sent it into 23andMe. And then they were like, holy shit, what is going on? And I think as uh, what I call, or what we call a recipient parent, right? Like I'm a recipient parent, I received a donor egg. We, we deeply care for our children, like all parents do, even before they're born. And so we really get nervous, like, is my child gonna resent me because I used a donor? Um, are they gonna feel connected to our family? And I think the number one, the number one thing around this topic is getting comfortable talking and to your child about it and telling your child about their story from the very beginning is the number one thing that will help them adjust and grow mm-hmm. as they, they learn about their conception story and then knowing who their donor is and that they can reach out to them if they want to. So that doesn't mean necessarily mean like knowing, you know, that it was my sister or my cousin or someone that I know in my immediate circle, but having ways that they can reach out to that person once they get older, if that's what they choose to do, because it's the secrecy, it's the secrets that really are what do damage for, for donors conceived kids. And it's not only the secrets, but it's also that like the foundation of your family has been, it feels like it's been built on a secret. And no one wants their, their family to have that foundation. And so knowing that your child learning and growing over time, knowing that like you're going to tell them everything and you're going to talk to them and we don't have secrets, like that's just good general parenting. But when you add the donor piece into that, um, it makes a big difference for kids. So, And I think people make it out or build it up to be a bigger thing than it is. Like when I'm talking to my kids, I've got like a that like nearly four-year-old and just turned six-year-old. And we're just super honest. We're like, man, we needed a little bit of help. So we had a doctor that helped us. We got a little bit of mummy. We got a little bit of daddy. Yep. <laughs> we, we put them together. <laughs> and then they put them back into mummy. And like, if it's no big deal to you and if you normalize it yourself and you know, you're just super honest with this is how it happened right from the get go without making it seem like a big thing. I like, you know, I think people envisage sitting down when the kids are, you know, like nine and 10 years old and being like, 
I have something important to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Where, which yeah. makes it, you know, definitely makes it feel like it's, you know, something crazy. People are like, man, we need a little bit of help. Not everyone can see in the same way. This is how we made our family. Man, this is what it is. Then I think, yeah, I don't know. Totally. And you know, it's, it's interesting. So like we, we have started, we started talking about it with them when they were in utero and we did it because we needed to start talking about it to get comfortable with it. And we started reading them books when they were six months old, right? Because we needed the language to learn how to talk to them about it. But we also, to your point, wanted it to be normal part. So like their books about being donor conceived are in their bookshelf with all their other books. Like some nights they pick the donor book and some nights they pick the dinosaur unicorn book, right? Like it, and for them, it's just part of their story. And it's interesting now because they're four and a half getting close to five this summer and they're starting to understand better, right? Like where babies come from. And, um, the other night, Addie and I were reading one of the books and we were talking about our donor and how like the doctor helped us and everything. And she said, you know, well, how, how did I get back in you? And I was like, well, the doctor put me back, put you back in through my vagina. And she was like, her biggest concern was that I had to take my underwear off in front of other people (laughs) to make that happen. It is so funny, but it's just like, because it's been so part of our normal conversation, the donor part doesn't even phase her. It's the underwear part today that's phasing her. So that's why it's just so important for it to be part of the normal dialogue. Yeah. So important. And so I think you've got one, have you got one more myth? I've got two more and these two are going to go fast. So the next one is that um, if we want to, our donor can remain anonymous that we get to decide as recipient parents, whether or not our donor is going to be anonymous. The answer to that is no, um, no, that's no longer possible. Now that could have been possible. I would say five to 10 years ago, when we were going through this five years ago, we were told that our donor could remain anonymous and with sites like 23andMe and um, Ancestry.com, like it's just basically impossible for a donor to remain anonymous. And I think that that's good. That's Mm -hmm. a good thing. So part of coming to terms with using a donor is also coming to terms with learning and knowing who that donor is and, and opening up that possibility of a relationship with them or any potential siblings for you and your child. So that's myth number four. And then myth number five, and this one was a big one for me, was that mostly for egg and sperm donors, not so much for embryo donors, but more for egg and sperm donors, that they are only doing it for the money because they get paid. Egg donors and sperm donors get paid. Most people have probably seen advertisements, you know, in a bathroom stall at college or in your mm. college. newsletter or in a magazine or something advertising, like make $10,000 by donating your eggs. And yes, there are people who go into it for the money. And they're just like with every industry, there are people who exploit and don't treat people the way that they should. But 
in my experience and in talking to people who have donated, it's really they do it because they want to help. They want to help someone. They know someone who's gone through infertility. They've seen the pain that it causes. And is the money good? Yes, it can be good. But it's more so because they really want to help a couple like you, like me, become parents. And that was really important for me um, mm -hmm. personally when we were choosing our donor. Um, it really meant something to me what her why was, why she was doing it. In Australia, look, I don't know the big ins and outs, but it's really hard to conceive via donor in Australia because I don't think you're allowed to receive any payment. And mm. I like also, like it's the same with surrogacy. I don't think you can pay for surrogacy. Uh, it has to be a free thing. And I'm, I could, I could be, no, I don't think it's the case that you have to know someone because we had the option of donating like embryos that we, it, it, that we weren't going to use. So I'm not sure that that's the case, but it is really hard. And I think the other thing that people don't realize is sometimes you need a little bit of monetary compensation and easier laws to assist this to happen because otherwise there's so like, and there's like a six month waiting period. That's really hard. Like it's just, super hard to navigate that and to be expecting someone to go through egg retrievals and, you know, putting things like potential future relationships out there without some kind of monetary uh, compensation. So I mean, a hundred percent, like it shouldn't be some person out there farming out their eggs for cash, but on the same token, I actually, like, it's a big deal and it's a you know, a big honor to be able to donate that, that I don't, yeah, I don't think we should be too scared of any kind of yeah. monetary compensation. Yeah. And, and honestly, like here in the United States, you know, in order to actually donate your eggs and donate your sperm, like you have to go through psychological testing, medical testing, like there's a lot of things. I mean, I think I remember from the time when we were finding our donor, our clinic said that they get about 70 to a hundred inquiries a month of people wanting to donate their eggs specifically. And they would take maybe two of those people. So it's a very selective process and not anyone who's like, yeah, I want to make some money can go do it. It yeah. really does require a lot of time and a lot of effort on behalf of the, the person donating to actually get to the point where they're donating. Mm. Um, so those are just a few. I think there's a lot of other myths out there, but those are kind of my top, my top yeah. five, if you will. And I think the more that we can talk about this, the, you know, sometimes when we start learning things, we start talking to other people, we learn that the monster doesn't have as big a teeth as what we thought it did. So I'm so happy that you are opening up the conversation with this. Maida, before we start the speed round, you're killing it on Instagram at the moment. I know, obviously, because I chat to you all the time that you have some really cool things going on and coming up. So this is, can you just tell people if they are still, if they may be been told that they need donor or they're starting to think that it's on the horizon where can they find you what can they expect you tell us 
Yes. Okay. So come find me on Instagram at Meta Getman, M-E-T-A-G-E-T-M-A-N. Um, so just my name. Come join me there. I um, am really active on Instagram. I love that community so much. I do a weekly Q&A where you can pop on and ask me any question and I will answer it for you um, and share a lot of great content there. You can also find me on my website, madeagetman.com. So pretty simple. And then um, I'm getting really excited because in March, I'm going to be launching a six-week course with video lessons and exercises and worksheets, group coaching, and a community called the Donor Download, the essential framework to building your family using a donor. And I'm so excited about this program because it truly is going to be a one-stop shop for doing that learning and processing and investigation around using a donor to build your family. And it is unlike anything else that currently exists. Mm -hmm. So it is really comprehensive and it's a one place to go. So you can stop going down that Google rabbit hole, which I know I'm sure all of you have been down to only be left with more questions. So this is meant to stop that and to give you answers to those questions and then also to, to connect with me too. Just a few questions on that. Um, so the first one is, it's spelt Meta, M-E-T-A, it's pronounced Meta, everyone. Yes. Um, the second thing is though, so if someone is hasn't been told necessarily by their specialist that donor is the route that they need to take, but is possibly, you know, of, I hate this word, but advanced maternal age. And it's like, <laughs> this could be on the horizon. I'm really scared. I have 12,436 questions generally about donor. Is that something that would be suitable for them? Yes, for sure. And the other thing that I forgot to mention is um, I have a free resource available to anyone who wants it. You can go to my website to get it. And it's the Essential Donor Checklist. And it's a resource filled with all the questions that you can ask and start using to start processing this and um, the, the donor process and using a donor. So really these resources in this course are for anyone who, whether you're considering it, thinking about it, have decided, yep, I think this is the path we're gonna go down and now I have a bunch of questions or even for people who have started down that path. So maybe you're starting a donor cycle and you still feel like you have questions like this, course and my resources and me are for for all of you okay that's awesome that's really good to know and so if someone is interested in possibly looking at this course they can just find you on instagram and be like uh, yes. i heard on the podcast you were doing like oh. a six-week thing can you tell can you keep me in the loop about it so that's probably the best way for people to do that yes just head to my instagram page and dm me and i will give you links and resources to all of the things that we talked about Meta getman at Meta getman all right. Speed round time. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? Yes. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. I love that. And I've never heard that one before. Okay. Do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? It would be Girl, Stop Apologizing by Rachel Hollis. Mm, I've read that one. Kill, kills you, like slaps you in the face, makes you really confront your stuff. Yeah. Do you have like just a life hack somewhere for people? Meal planning. 
So talk to me about meal planning. Stop the clock. Do you meal plan every week? Yes, we meal plan every week and we've done it for 10 years. Whoa, whoa, Nellie. Okay, you're like the queen of meal planning. Maybe. (laughs) What Do you just write down what recipe you're going to make or what do you... No, we essentially say like, okay, we're going to cook like three meals a week. Here are the three meals we're going to cook. Maybe it's, maybe we're using a recipe. We're pretty simple. So usually it's like a meat, a vegetable and a starch. And then, um, we have it hanging up in our kitchen so Mm -hmm. that we, and we grocery shop once a week. So we know everything we need to buy for the week. And over time we've tweaked it so that we make enough so that we have leftovers for lunch and can get it to last through the week. And then, um, we know exactly what needs to be cooked on that day. So if I'm busy or if he's busy, like one of us can start dinner and it honestly, for me, like I make so many decisions in my day, whether that's from parenting to my business, to my coaching clients, to the other things that I'm doing, like the last thing I want to do is decide what's for dinner. And if I don't meal plan, I eat pizza and cereal and popcorn and that's about it. (laughs) So meal planning helps me in many, many ways. Awesome. So yeah, we, I haven't been meal planning that often and I don't do it that consistently, but I do pretty much sit down every week and write down what we're going to have for dinner. Um, because I'm like, we've got three huge veggie patches and I'm, it's kind of based around what needs to be used from the veggie patch. And then I work, I try to just make sure that we have a couple of veggie meals and a couple of meat meals. And then that's kind of what we do. So I was much more basic, but I would love to be super organized like you. All right. Last question. Do you have a message or something that you want to share with people? Or just, if you could shout something from the rooftops, what would it be? Yes. I would be standing on top of the highest mountain. I will tell everyone who will listen that DNA does not create a family love Mm. does mic drop mic drop yep bomb done perfect way to end (laughs) our podcast can you just repeat that let's just say it once more for the people in the back yes dna does not create a family love does maida thank you so much for joining us on the podcast Just having someone who has been there, who has done it, who is on the other side, who knows all the crazy things that are going on right inside people's heads that they're absolutely terrified about is so, so helpful. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for busting some of those myths. And I cannot wait to hear about how your new program goes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye everyone. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Fertility Warriors. Come and find us on Instagram. Let us know what you thought of that episode. And if you have any requests for future episodes or people that you would like me to interview on the podcast, I'll catch you all next week. Bye. Okay, Warrior, I need to ask you a huge favor. Did you know that the Fertility Warriors podcast comes out every Wednesday? So why not subscribe so that you get notified of future episodes? But also, if you liked this episode, and especially if you're a long-term listener, you would make my day if you would jump into your podcast player and leave me a written review. 
Seriously, I live for these. But more importantly, they tell the podcast gods that this podcast is helpful so that they can send it out to more people and you can help me help others in the process. I would be ever so grateful for a podcast review. But lastly, Warrior, I need to also let you know, I am not a doctor or a dietitian or a financial advisor. I'm me. And the information in this podcast is for information and inspirational purposes only, based on my own experiences. So please don't substitute the information you hear on the Fertility Warriors podcast for professional advice. And know that girl, in the world of trying to conceive, there are no guaranteed pregnancy or other outcomes. Please check out my website, robinburkin.com, if you would like to read my full terms and conditions.